are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Hi folks, Justin here. Just a quick word before we dive into this episode. First off, a huge thank you to Mr. Tommy Clark and Mr. Walter Ball of the Necrocasticon podcast for filling in for me on this chat with the legendary Biff Byford, which we will be getting to in just a second. As I said in our last episode, it's been a pretty shitty month for me, so I unfortunately wasn't able to make it myself. And these guys saved the day so that we may bring this episode to you all. So make sure to check out the Necrocasticon podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening to me talk right now and you feel so inclined please leave us a review on your platform of choice i know spotify is now allowing reviews which is great so without further ado here's biff and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Saxon is seizing the day literally with their 23rd album, Carpe Diem. And guess who we've got with us right now? None other than the legendary Biff Byford. Whoa. Hello. Hi. It's hey, Biff. Yes. Hi, you're okay. <laughs> Seize the day. Carpe Diem. Great tune, man. Exactly. Seize the day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good first single. Yeah, definitely. Single. Very strong opening track. Yeah. It, well, we want, I wanted it to be a powerful sort of intro for the album. And I like it. Yeah, I like, I like the motto, Seize the Day, Carpe Diem. I like it. It's good. Every Saxon album, you try to make it a little different than the album before. You try to add new elements to the music. What elements did you add to Carpe Diem to make that album stand out amongst the, you know, the two dozen albums that you put out over your industrious career? Well, we always tried to make every album better than the one before. 
that's the criteria to start off. This album different because we made it when there's a lot of adversity against this album. So we had to fight through the some health issues that I had and the COVID thing. So, you know, the album's positive, really. I think I wanted it to be positive. And I had more time to work on the lyrics and melodies. So I think it's a little bit more connected to the 80s albums. I think it's a little bit more in your face. I don't think there's as much musical experimentation on this album, like proggy, a proggy style, you know, that's not on this right. album. Yeah, it's something that I noticed when I was listening to it. It does harken back to that era. And a, a lot of your uh, peers from that time period, too, they've been seeing... Uh success again in this era as well you know you started out with bands like maiden and tigers of pantang back in the clubs you know almost 50 years ago now that's just just crazy biff and you're still doing it at 70 yeah it's pretty crazy actually that i think there's still a couple of guys from tigers of pantang around but uh, you know maiden are still around you know a lot of bands that started before us are still around judas priest obviously motivated aren't around anymore but um you know they were around when we first started so yeah i mean it's a good feeling to be uh being making records for 42 years now or 41 years anyway so yeah which is pretty good really back in that time you you guys along with motorhead and priest were kind of looked at as the leaders the forefront of the of the new wave of british heavy metal movement that was starting up we're I, think maiden, I think maiden as well i think maiden well i was thinking steve harris said interviews they always looked at you guys as like the heavy hitters as well as the tigers of pantang and even um def leppard all looked up well def leppard were babies when you guys were putting out uh, uh wheels of steel but has your relationship with those bands evolved do they still look at you guys as like uh you know the the veterans the top of the heap along with priest and maiden and, and Motorhead and such? Well, I have no idea what people, I don't know how people envisage it. <laughs> I've got no idea. I mean, we know all the bands. We're massive fans with Motorhead, you know. So I think, you know, our album came out in 1979, our first album. And that's the year we toured with Motorhead, our first, first ever big tour with Motorhead in the UK. And then we went straight on to a massive European tour with Jesus Priest in 1980. So I think it wasn't until 1980 that the Steel album broke worldwide for us. But that was more or less off the Brutus Priest tour. So, you know, there was Wheels of Steel in 1980, and I think there was the first Maiden album was then as well. Motorhead mm-hmm. had Ace of Spades. Yep. Judas Priest had sort of British Steel, British Steel. White Snake. White Snake had probably had their second album. Ozzy had his first album because he mm-hmm. supported us in Europe. So, yeah, that period, 1908 period, was a great period. It was a big me- melting pot of uh, talent and song, really. But I think, you know, from that 80 period, we all more or less started from that period of that new wave of British heavy metal. I know people don't like being involved with it and talk around it, but actually, I'm telling you the truth, they were all involved in it. You could hear it. It was like, in all the music that came out in that era, it had similar sounds to it. Um, I think a lot of it, too, is because, you know, England is is so much smaller than like the United States. All the musicians played with one another at one point. Well, did we did play play a lot? I mean, we we did some shows with, with Maiden in, in 70, 78, 79, uh, oh, when they were you know they got the original singer. Yeah, but you know, Running Free I think was their first big single. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that that was eighty. You know, so I think how people perceive it in you in the U.S. is different to how people perceive it in the U.S. Okay. Yeah, we were a couple of years behind on the curve. Well, it it's not, it's not particularly that. It just, it just you weren't here when it happened. 
<laughs> yeah. you know, so, so you weren't really seeing the club and the, the TV shows and the radio play, which is how it all started, you know. So that's really what broke the band. I remember Maiden went on, on TV and played live, which was a pretty groundbreaking thing. They had the show like Top of the Pops. They had a lot of respect for that. You know, we were doing things like that and all messing about, trying to become uh, big. That was a good deal. Carpe diem. Back to Carpe diem. So that <laughs> well, how much of that experience do you do you still still affects the music that you write today because you did say you wanted to go back kind of that 80s sound with the Carpe diem album. No, I didn't want to go back to the 80s sound. I think I think some of the the songs were written in that style because okay. of the way we wrote a bit more straight in your face. No, I don't I don't think the sounds are particularly 80s. I just think the the actual feel of the album has a little bit of an 80s flavor to it, that's all. Yeah, that's good, though. That's what I want to hear. You know, when you you want to, you want listen to Saxon, you want to hear that Saxon brand. Right. Yeah, you want, to, you want to hear how we sound, basically. We don't want to change how we sound. We went through a little bit of that in the late 80s, but now we sound like we sound, and that's, that's it. And Andy Sneak and myself, we know exactly how to do that now. So it's a pretty good team we have together now. The songs that you put onto this album, how much of it was inspired by things that happened to you, like your heart attack or even the pandemic? Uh, I think I think the you know the whole album is inspired by. I mean, it's a, it's the, everything I did on the album lyrically and musically i just wanted to be a positive message you know like yeah i just think that it's a great album for me because i was able to come back from a dark place when i had a heart attack and write this album really lyrically so it's a bit of a special album for me in that respect you know people seem to like it already so yeah. that's pretty cool yeah you can hear when something's when it's something sincere you can definitely hear it in this album it's sincere yeah, I think we wanted to keep the energy level up, uh, more aggressive maybe on the guitar riffs. Yeah, we had a great, great time. Although we weren't doing it together, we still managed to uh, keep the energy levels high and the excitement feeling of doing the album. You know, we really focused on it. How has recording the album during the pandemic differed? Because I know you probably well, do it all remotely. Is that true? Well, we've done, I'll tell you how it worked. When we finished the Thunderbolt tour in America with Judas Priest, we came back and I said, look, we should probably start writing the new album. And we've had a bit of a break. The band were like, are you fucking mad? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, we need to start at some point to write the next album, really. So we started quite early writing the next album. So Nigel, we wrote the songs and we rehearsed the songs before COVID. Then I had a heart attack. Around that time, I had this, the solo album coming out, my solo album. So eventually, Nigel did the drums in February 2020, which was before COVID. And then Nibs did the bass then uh, over in Germany. And then the boys went to Andy Sleep Studio and did the guitars. And then the rest of it was left up to me, really, to do, you know, the arranging and the melodies and the lyrics, really. So it was pretty okay doing it in lockdown. But we had, like I say, I had to keep an eye on the energy levels and make sure that, you know, things... Things were going along smoothly, if you know what I mean. There tends to be the the possibility that it sounds canned almost, and it doesn't and it sounds uninspired no, when, yeah, you, when you're it, not recording together. I think we rehearsed together, and uh, I think that was good enough, you know, because we all knew. And you know, the songs are very energetic anyway, the way they're put together. I don't think if you if you're clever and you know what you're doing, I don't think it sounds canned. I think this album sounds fresh. I think it sounds like you know you're in the same room as us playing. For me, I think people get a bit carried away of like people in in the same room recording because it very rarely happens like that 
anyway, actually, right. because if you record the drums and the bass and the guitars together, you usually end up redoing the guitars anyway, you know, so, and probably the bass. So the only thing you end up that's live most of the time is drums. I might be giving away trade secrets there, but that's, that's usually what happens, you know, is that when a band make an album, they play together and then they replace everything else that they've done because it's not good enough. If you know what I mean, it's not it's not tight enough unless you unless you're making. I mean, the Inspirations album was done fairly live, all in the same room, but it wasn't done all in the same room at the same time. You know, the guitars did their bit after. If you know what I mean. Yeah, you guys kept yourselves busy during the pandemic. You had your solo album out. You had uh, the Inspiration album come out. Wasn't there another project you were involved in too? Yeah, I did an album with my son called uh, Heavy Water. Yes. Got great reviews. Actually, got quite a bit of airplay in America. That we were quite we were quite happy about that. So, um, so you know, different type of music, still rock based, but yeah. more bluesy, bluesy rock. I think your boys are a chip off the old block, huh? He's a great singer songwriter. He really is. Yeah, he doesn't need he doesn't need me. That's for sure. <laughs> but it was it was nice to do a project together in lockdown. You know. Mm-hmm. He was here, and I have a studio at my house, so it was quite easy to work together. Yeah, the album's due to come out in February, and now we've got this second surge of the pandemic coming on with these new variants. Are you guys concerned it might have an effect on the future touring? I think this virus thing is always going to have an effect. I don't think things are ever going to be the same again. But we just have to keep planning and looking forward, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. I think we can't. If you stop planning, then, you know, you're a bit dead, aren't you? So you have to keep planning, keep moving forward and hoping that, you know, these shows, what we have next year, will go ahead. We haven't got a crystal ball. Nobody knows. The new variant, you know, the Transformers variant called Omnicron. Omnicron. You know, it's like it's like one of the one of the villains in Transformers. I know, isn't so, it? Uh, yeah, yeah you, uh, Orson Wells, Unicron. Uh, yeah. I am Optimus Prime. We'll die. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so we'll just have to see. I mean, it's surging here at the moment, but no, nobody's, nobody's really getting sick from it. So I suppose if nobody's getting ill, then I suppose we'll just ride it through. You know, if, yeah. if people, people start having to go to hospital again in massive amounts, then yeah. obviously it will hit the fan again and we'll have to stop. But at the moment, everything's sort of, we all have to wear masks and things but there's no in England there's no massive restrictions yet it might be different in Wales and Scotland soon but here I think they're trying to keep things open as much as possible mm-hmm. you know to keep the economy rolling so it's amazing how much when you take some of the cogs out of the wheel that is our economies in the world and how important entertainment establishments is and how much of it has an effect when you have to remove that from the equation for a while it's it's, it's scary you know and it shows how we're all one symbiotic creature you know almost i think and keeping that positive attitude that you like to talk about there i think is a great message to give nowadays but thank you very much for being that way it's, it's okay you're welcome i mean i think seize the day is a positive thing i mean i was going to call the album pilgrimage which is another song mm-hmm. on the album that's um, my favorite track off the record actually <laughs> i thought that's oh, a there great, you go, then. There great you go, song then. too I yeah, like it's the a great song. Carpe yeah, Diem is I, a track, but a uh, very atmospheric pilgrimage. It's very, uh, very deep. I, I, a lot of the hints of like deep purple in there, and right. I like the guitar solos in it too. It just they just sound really crisp. I, I mean, pilgrimage is a great track. It's a great. Would it be a great title as well? Yeah. Pilgrimage, you know, the, the world pilgrimage tour would sound great. I just thought uh, Seize the Day was a better for this time in the planet's life. I just thought that yeah. uh, Seize the Day was a better message than uh, pilgrimage. 
Absolutely. Not only do we have this, you know, the pandemic, but we also live in a time of great change and diversity. Uh, Has this helped your listening audience? Has it gotten Saxon new listeners that you may not have had before? I think generally all our audience, uh, a base audience, I think, a very mixed, it's a very mixed audience with Saxon because we're not altogether a full on metal band. We do have a, a melodic side as well. You know, so I think we tend to pull people from the hard rock category, you know, heavy rock, heavy metal, basically. But we do have a melodic side on all our music. And also we have a fairly hardcore side as well. So I think with Saxon, we sort of follow a lot of, you know, we, we walk a lot of lines with the band. So our audience is very wide. If you look out in the audience, it's very mixed from men, women, young, old. It's just a very uh, mixed audience, our audience. So I suppose we're very lucky. I suppose things like 747 and stuff like that. A lot of people get that because it got a lot of airplay and a lot of TV coverage. And then you get some of our latest stuff that's a bit harder. The, the sort of younger, hardcore audience come along. So I can't really figure out a demographic. I'm really glad we've got one. <laughs> Did you ever think back in 1977 when you, you know, Son of a Bitch came together that you'd still be doing this as a 70-year-old man? I don't think so, no. I don't think anybody would. I don't think anybody had a master plan. Maybe some guys did, like David Bowie or somebody, but I don't think really we had a master plan. I just think I wanted to be in music. That was was my drive. I didn't really give a monkey's whether I played bass, sang, played guitar, played flute, played a washboard, could have played a juice up. Oh, I didn't care. I wanted to be in a band and play music and then later on to write music. That, that was my dream. I didn't think, I didn't even think I would get a record deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it's just progress, I suppose, and keeping at it. You know, the never surrender mantra, that's what we live by, I think, Saxon. Yeah, well, Saxon was one of the last bands. Well, well not one of the last, but what they weren't signed immediately. Was it because of the name Son of a Bitch, you think, that you didn't get signed right away? I mean, it was probably the songs, actually. They were probably shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... When you first get signed, you have a load of songs that have been hanging around for like three or four years, you know. Mm-hmm. And some songs that me and Paul wrote, some songs that Graham Oliver, Steve Dawson wrote, some songs we wrote together. So the first album, the Saxon album with the Warrior on there, it's very mixed music. It's some prog, prog overtones there. There's some poppy type things. There's some yeah. full-on virtual thrash metal things like Stallions of the Eyewear, very fast, aggressive songs. So we were like finding our way on that album, and you know, they, we nearly lost our deal with the first album because it didn't really sell that many. It would have been number one now, but back then it didn't sell very many. So it wasn't until Wheels of Steel the second album that we actually found our sound you know we found the sound of the band really and the songwriting technique we found that as well so we're very lucky because it was right just at the right time that album came out yeah we're very lucky and i think when wheels of steel went so big i think people record companies really saw that that was a music that could be massive so a lot of bands got signed in that period between 79 and 80 was a big mm-hmm. period for bands to be signed, you know. That's how it was. We were just very lucky to get a deal with that first album. I don't know why we got it. Maybe somebody felt sorry for us. The first album is great. You know, we had a lot of a lot of good friends working with us. We had guys like Russ Ballard and, and Rod Argent, you know, a guy called John Verity, and we were managed by uh, Queen's Management, Trident. So it was it was a strong team. At that point in time, seventy nine, it just didn't didn't hit with the with the fans. How did your learning experiences from that impact Carpe Diem? Like I said, 
to never stop, to never get really depressed and things about what people say about albums and what, what success you have. In some respects, it's not about that longevity. It's about quality, not quantity, if you know what I mean. It's about sticking to your guns. And if, if it changed a little bit and make a few mistakes or somebody gets sacked from the band or leaves from the band, you have to pick yourself up and start again. And you can hear that in Carpe Diem. I remember back in the day, it used to be a big thing if somebody left a band, the replacement person was like news. It was like news. It was like the front page of every one of the of the heavy metal rag that was yeah. out in the back of the day. And now it's just like, oh, it's, it's no big news anymore. <laughs> well, I suppose I suppose it's big. I suppose it's big news if the bands. It, I don't know. I suppose if, if somebody left from it. I mean, it is it is biggish news. But I think people are more. I mean, are there any? Are there any really big new bands? Really, or anybody would give a shit if anybody left. People would freak out if if somebody left Metallica. That would make the front pages of the magazines definitely. Yeah. Or if uh, I don't know if you know, there's really any big people do come and go. I mean, you're probably right. It probably people aren't as bothered these days as they used to be. Yeah, it used to know? be like Ozzy gets a new guitar player and there's this big thing for it. Now it's just whoever's playing. Yeah, for I suppose him. so. <laughs> so. Yeah, Post I mean, Malone's guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I can see if a lot of bands have left, the singers have left, you know, like Nightwish and people like that. You know, Rob Alford left Judas Priest for a while. So I think people, you know, it, it, it's not as big a deal, obviously. It's not like it's not like when Dave Lee Roth left Van Halen or something. Yeah. That was quite a big deal for some people. And it, it still is a big still is a big deal for some people. So, you know, it's uh, it's. Uh, it I think just it's, 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 how, it's it just in the depends community. how big a fan you are of the band yeah, and those yeah. members. I mean, if your favorite member gets dumped or leaves, then you're pretty pissed off, I think. It's within the community. Like when Roy Kahn left Camelot, that was a big deal to the, to the power metal community there because he was basically yeah, probably, a yeah. I think if a, if a main songwriter leaves or a singer, right. a, you know, a guitarist, a lot, a lot of people that left have bands in their own name, don't they? Ingram Malmstream can't leave Ingram Malmstream, can he? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, Ingrid Malmstrom's left the band Ingrid Malmstrom. He's kind of stuck in the Yeah, game. so, you know, that's a good way around it, really. You start your own band. Yeah. <laughs> You're legendary for your frontman antics. What kind of preparation do you make before you go on stage? None. Just go out and be yourself? Just go on to be yourself, yeah. Let it roll. If you make mistakes, you make mistakes. If it's fantastic, it's fantastic. So, yeah, just let it roll. I don't really have any pre pre-gig build-up. I don't have a stand-up Canadian in my dressing room winding me up. I don't really do vocal exercises either. I just go on and do it, and you just get it how it is, really. What kind of advice can you give to guys in bands that are trying to make it out there now in this strange era that we have? Well, I think at the moment it's all social media based. So really, you have to try and come up with something that people think is cool. Or I suppose you can try a shock tactic, but just write great music and just get something out there, really, and see if you can grab some fans. I mean, that's the that's the secret, isn't it? To make somebody listen. I think with the COVID, I think a lot of a lot of music's gone and got lost in the fog in the COVID fog, I think. I think we're very lucky because obviously we're quite a big band, so people are taking notice of our new re right. new release. But I think for young bands, and probably quite a lot of music come out and sort of gone missing somewhere, you know. My advice would be, if you haven't had a lot of interest during COVID, is to repackage it, think again, and put it out there again. That's what I would do, or just redo it. I've always wanted to ask this because, well, you know, uh, your extensive library and the subject matter of your songs, lots of, you know, medieval and fantasy type elements. Where 
where did you draw Carpet Dam included? Where did you draw inspiration from to write these songs? Uh, like like uh, movies, historical studies, books. I'm a bit of a history buff, so I'm always reading or watching things about history. I mean, history is happening all the time. I mean, I mean, COVID is history. Will be hopefully soon. I mean, I've written a song on this album about COVID. I was hoping it would be finished by now. So that song isn't really about history anymore. It's about the book today. You know what's happening today. No, I'm interested in history. I'm interested in all things, really. I'm sort of like a minor intellect. <laughs> what's your favorite? What's your favorite historical down, period? Down the IQ scale. I think sort of medieval is pretty good because it covers a lot of that. I and mean, obviously you've got the dark ages, but I quite like that sort of the Viking come Saxon come Norman. I quite like that sort of period from sort of 900 AD to around 1400. I quite like that era. But I like the Roman stuff as well. I'll watch and read anything really if it's interesting. So you know, the just Saxon uh, actually has some extra true meaning to it based off of what you like about things and what, what, what you find no, interesting. That, that's right. I think that was more look than anything else. Because, <laughs> you know, we were called son of a bitch, obviously. Right. And the, the record company said, why don't you call yourself Anglo-Saxons? I was like, oh, the Anglo is rubbish, but I quite like Saxon. That's good. So <laughs> that's where we took Saxon Saxon from. So that's that's how it was done, the, the change of name. It worked out pretty good, really, because the name does suit the music sometimes. Yeah, yeah it does. So that's pretty cool, you know. You mentioned before that you found the, the, the secret to writing songs for Saxon during the second album. What is this? What is the secret? What what, what, what was What's the formula that you guys came up with? I think, the, I think the five members were the formula. I think the chemistry of that band were fantastic. You know, two great guitarists, character, character bass player, powerhouse drummer, you know, melodic singer that could scream as well. So I think, I think it was the five of us the, the chemistry that we got it together you know writing as a unit rather than writing before the band got signed really so I think we had to write very quick and we had to write in winter where we were in this ridiculously cold place so there, there was a, there was a sense of we've got to get the fuck out of here as quick as possible so let's write the album you know so that's, that was the mentality then. Bang them out, you know, write, write songs. No, nobody knew in the band whether the songs were any good. I mean, we were in there for two weeks up in the Welsh mountains in the snow and freezing conditions. A couple of the managers and one of the record company guys came to see us and we played him 10 songs we'd written and they were like, that's unbelievable. Or like, well, are they, are they rubbish? It was like, no, they're fantastic. So yeah, so that that's what happened really. That's a true story. You know, we didn't have any idea they were even good that's sometimes the 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 hubris of the artist they don't see their art for what it is that's like we always thought we were faking it <laughs> <laughs> do you still feel no, like obviously, you're faking obviously, it obviously obviously we weren't well there's always that when you first starting to write a, a style of music that's fairly unique-ish there's always that thought of has this been done before is this great or is it the same old same old that's the key, I think. And obviously, it, it wasn't the same old, same old, so we'll, we'll look at it. I don't hear people say, making jokes about Saxon like they do about ACDC recording their album again. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> so you've got this album coming out in February. There's a tour. Is there going to be a tour of the U.S.? Is that planned? Yeah, the plan is, I mean, obviously you can order it now, but it's not coming out until February, obviously. There'll be another single, I think, soon. Yeah, we're planning to tour next year. I mean, the plan is to come to America first, maybe with a Uri Heat package Ooh. together with Uri Heat. But don't, don't, that's not carved in stone. That was the plans, I think. So that would be pretty cool. So that might happen in April, May, I think. Yeah, and then we'd come back to Europe and do festivals, and then we'll probably take up the uh, Seize the Day tour again in September. So we'll probably do the first tour on the new album will be in America. That's the plan. I know, and I've gone to some, you know, other resurgent tours for a lot of the old bands over recent years, and it, it, they're playing mid, mid, mid-range clubs for the most part. Are you going to be doing that, or are you guys going to be looking at doing smaller auditoriums? or, 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 or is it Yeah, we, 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 want, we, want, we, yeah, we want to do the theaters, really. That, that's okay. the plan. Obviously, Saxon are a lot more popular in America now than mm-hmm. we were in the past. We've done some strong tours in America. I mean, our, our sales in America are strong. The streaming, the streaming is America. Our stuff is really strong. So I think we're, we're a lot more known now in, in America. I think it's probably like it was back in the power and glory, back in the power and glory days. Where a lot of people in America now, fans of America, they know we are. And you've got to thank people like Metallica and things for like for saying that we influenced them for that. And bands like you know Motorhead, Judas Priest, and people like that for taking us out there. Really, you know, we've done some strong tours. We did two tours with UFO, one tour with Motorhead, and one tour with Judas Priest. All in the last four or five years. So uh, we've been hitting America pretty hard. You know. Well, you're a legend. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. People are going to come out to see you. And the great thing, <laughs> great thing is there's there's newer bands that are continuing the classic flavor of heavy metal that you guys were known for, along with Priest and Motorhead and such. So the, they're creating a gateway for newer, younger fans, yeah. teenagers now, to discover uh, Saxon. I mean, Wheels of Steel is an album that any metalhead, no matter what age they are, it's a record that everyone should own, in my yeah. opinion. And Actually, so is Carpe Diem. Absolutely. Carpe Diem is a great record. Wheels of Steel, I assume you mean in Wheels of Steel, not British Steel. But uh, Wheels of Steel is, it is a classic album. And people yeah. are still discovering that album. And, you know, that album, British Steel, The Maiden's first album, they're all great classic albums of that era. Bomber, uh, Motorhead. People should have them, really. I mean, if people haven't got those albums, then they should definitely get them or download them or stream them because it started a whole new wave of metal, basically, those those albums around the world. For me, it was Rock the Nations. The girl I was dating at the time owned a copy of that record, who's now my wife. And that was the album she had from Saxon. And that was my gateway to discover the, the earlier right, work. You were, quite, you were quite late then. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And He's then, a did, pop. Did He's go, a pop. Did you go, I'm, I'm did a baby. You go backwards? Did you go backwards through our catalog then? I did, yeah. Um, and, and actually, I just uh, she had. Th- this was the late '90s um, when she, you know, I was I was a '90s kid listening to like you know Pantera and yep, Motorhead. Well, actually, no Motorhead, yeah, Megadeth, you know, uh, Anthrax, and then you know, but also you know, at the same time, going backwards and discovering you know the the earlier bands. Yeah. And- those bands like you guys and Maiden and such. Yeah, Pantera were massive Saxon fans. We played with Pantera a couple of times, and you know they absolutely loved the boys. You know, they yep. loved the band. So we obviously all those American bands that were sort of around, around, sort of you know early teens in those eighties. You know, they were heavily influenced by Maiden, Saxon, and Priest Morehead because they were listening to that type of music. You know, we were like uh, the upcoming cult bands of the time. So a lot of musicians, you know, found us out. You know, like Lars 
Dallas did. I mean, the last game to see us in Brighton on our, on our, on our one of our on Denim and Leather Tour, I think. And uh, that's where all the interest in thrash metal started, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, all these bands were into all the English bands, British bands of the day. When I met Phil Anselmo, he was wearing a Crusader shirt. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew the guys. We met the guys. I mean, I met Dimebag a few times, you know, Phil. So, yeah, we know all those guys from the, that era, the 90s. Played with loads of bands that you wouldn't think would be fans of ours, and they are, you know, Slipknot. We've played with Slipknot loads of times. They're, they're huge fans of the 80s, uh, oh, metal yeah. bands. Absolutely okay. huge, you know. And again, th- that allows a gateway, like Pantera and Slipknot, a gateway to discover Saxon, you know, for the newer fans. And, and again, yeah. a hell of a starting point will definitely be Carpe Diem when it comes out in February. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think all these bands that, that you know, wear the shirts and say that we did this and we did that, not just those, obviously, a, a lot of other bands influenced them as well, but just that 80s thing connects. Yep. People go along, you know, oh, let's check that band out. It's yeah, awesome. So let's, you know, let's follow this band a bit, see what's happening. And then they come to Carpe Diem or the last album from the boat. And that's how it builds up. That's how things build up through through other bands sort of telling their fans that this is cool. Yeah, keep it on. Keep keep the cycle going. Keep it rolling. Keep that wheel rolling so that people keep listening, keep rediscovering good music over and over again. Because good music's timeless. doesn't matter. As you guys proved with your cover album that you guys did. Yeah, I mean, the, the Inspirations album was, a, a, you know, something we did for have some good form in the COVID. Mm. We had a little bit of a, like a, a break in the lockdown in Britain. We decided to do an album, a stopgap album, because we were going to release Garpy Diem earlier, but we didn't. So we released Inspirations, which is just a, you know, a fun album to do, really. I got to sing some great songs. It was good fun. Yeah, you did. Paint It Black. I love it. I love the Stones covers, man. Stone covers are just, because they're so basic and they're playing when a band with a good wall of sound like Saxon does a cover of their music, it just adds an added depth to a song that's already great yeah it, it, it is we just wanted to play in our style we didn't really want to change anything much i phrase it a little bit different sometimes with the vocals but i tried to keep the spirit of the song there yeah, make it uh, your own so yeah, it, yeah yeah it was great fun you know it's great fun i mean i never thought in a million years i could sing the immigrant song <laughs> You know, I didn't, I didn't even <laughs> didn't even think I could phrase it the same as uh, as Robert Plant, but but I did, and I was quite surprised, and that's good. Fantastic! I love the. If I go, line, if I go to a this. karaoke bar now, I'm I'm up for immigrant song. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever just dropped into a place that's got karaoke no, and started I've singing? No, I've never. To tell you the truth, I've never really, I've never really sang any covers. I mean. I know it's a bit depressing to say, because I was a singer when I first started. I was a guitarist, and then I was a bass player, and then I was a singer with a bass guitar around my neck. So I didn't come to singing from where most singers come from. So I didn't really have any big singing heroes. I had band heroes, you know, like the Who or something like that. But I didn't really... So I, I never really sang... Uh, I mean, I sang a couple of ACDC songs on stage a couple of times, whole lot of Rosie and things like that. But I've never sang... I've actually never sang the Immigrant Song. And I've never sang Speed King either. And I don't think I've ever sang any of those songs that, that we did. It was strange for me to, to go there and sing. But now I can sing, you know, I can definitely do Immigrant Song in a karaoke bar. When the land and stone, we can tie the world, bring blow. Ah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Biff Byford, we want to thank you very much for joining us today and, and, and talking about the new album, Carpe Diem. And again, it's going to be available on February 4th, correct? February 4th, yeah. Looking forward to that date. That should be good. Let's hope everybody stays safe until then and we can go on tour. Well, thank you, Biff. Have a great day. Thanks, Biff. Yeah, you have a great day. In fact, my day is nearly over. I'm going out for dinner now. I'm going out for... <laughs> I'm going out for an Indian meal. Very hot. Oh, I, I, I just made some butter. I just made some butter chicken uh, the other week. Uh, it came out fantastic. I mean, for a you know a non-Indian chef, I think I did pretty well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, have you still got it? The best thing to do is put some fresh chilies in, then freeze it, Ooh. and then when you come back to eat it, it's twice as strong. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah, that's the what chef. Doing. I'm going out with my wife. We're going to have a chili, uh, Indian. Uh, oh, nice. so, yeah. oh, enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy, Biff. Have a good one, brother. Thank yeah, you. you too. Thanks, have Biff. Night. Have a great Christmas and a happy you do. Happy year. Christmas. Yes, you do. Thank you so much. Oh, you Americans. All right. See you later. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.